You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Today I receive all of God's love for me. Today I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today I open myself to God's word, God's blessings, healing, and miracles. Today I open myself to God's word so that I become more like Jesus every day. Today I proclaim, say it with me, I proclaim that I'm God's beloved, I'm God's servant, I am God's powerful champion, and because I am blessed, I am blessing the world in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Father, have your way in us. Teach us, Lord, to listen to you. Teach us the sound of your voice so that when we hear you speak, we will obey. And when we obey, we get blessed. This is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Again, welcome to Feast at Home here in Feast, the Feast Makati District. I just want to say that we are grateful to the Lord for this opportunity to be with you. There's so many things to be grateful for. There's so many things to thank God for. We thank God for the past 12 years of the Feast Makati District. We thank God for the future. We thank God that we were, a were able to do this. We thank God that you are there. And we also thank God for the opportunity and the honor of sharing God's word. We thank God for his healing. I want to praise and thank the Lord for healing our brothers and sisters in, in community, in the light of Jesus family, who've been healed of COVID-19, um, who were able to, to, uh, to, to recover from the virus infection. And I also want to thank God for continuing to protect us. I also want to thank God for, uh, for those who did not make it. I pray, O oh Lord God, that you just uh, minister to them and that you comfort them, O oh Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I, I have so many things to thank God for. And as I said earlier, today is extraordinary because we're going to talk about the ordinary. You know, we like talking about, <laughs> we like talking about the extraordinary. The extraordinary play in, 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 the, in the NBA. The extraordinary house that we saw. The extraordinary car. The extraordinary performance of an actor and, and, or an actress. The extraordinary sermon. Um, we, we like to talk about the extraordinary, but we rarely focus on the ordinary because we think and we feel that all good things come from the extraordinary. But I want you to know, and this is my one big message for you today, is that God is in the ordinary. God is in the ordinary. That uh, the, the prophet Elijah, he was... He was expecting God to speak to him in a thunderous, loud voice. He was expecting God to showcase his power. He was expecting God in the storm, in the thunder, the voice of God to, to speak to him. But it, he, God did not. God spoke to him in an ordinary hush of a wind. He, God, God whispered to him. And, and it shows us that human nature is we want to see, look at the bigger things. When we plan, yes, nothing wrong with planning with the bigger things, but let us not fail to recognize God in the ordinary. We think 
that God is only in the extraordinary and supernatural, but I really want to tell you that God, He is. He is in the ordinary. God is present in your ordinary life. No matter how the ordinary your life is, God is there. I, I, I love that song, Yahweh, I know you are near. Wherever I am, you are near. When I climb to the mountains, you are there. When I go to the sea, you're there. God is in your ordinary. He's present in your ordinary life. God is present in your ordinary house, in your ordinary car, in your ordinary work, job, in your ordinary family, in your ordinary relationships. And because he is there, and because he is there, then we begin to see the extraordinary. Let, let's not mix things up and let's, let's make sure that we understand that God is in the ordinary. God can speak to you in the ordinary. Then and only then it becomes extraordinary because God, Jesus, affixed his signature on it. Does, do I make sense? Huh? Do I make sense? You, the message is, let us find God in the ordinary. What are the ordinary things that are happening in your life? Look for God there. My friend Kido Cosio started a, 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 a blog uh, years ago. And uh, the title of the blog is so nice. It says, the title of the blog is, I See God in That. And he begins to relate ordinary experiences in life. And at the end, he says, I see God in that. So that tells us that when you're counting your money because you started the business, God is with you. When you are starting to compute how much profit or how much you've lost in your business, God is with you. When you start to set up your own, your own store and you put up, when you're, when you're fixing it, boarding it up, God is there too with you. When, when you are with your loved one in your family, and you're enjoying one another's company on an ordinary day, God is in there. And if in case you haven't seen, or at least you were not aware, I want you to find God in the ordinary. Find God in the ordinary. I'm going to share with you four lessons from the continuation of the gospel according to Matthew, which talks about the transfiguration. There are four lessons that we can learn from the transfiguration, and these are practical lessons that we can apply in our lives. Let's read from Matthew 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. We said in the past that from here on until the end of the verse, Jesus would be spending a lot of time with his closest friends. Jesus would be spending a lot of time with his, with his uh, inner circle. And, and in, in the narration that will happen today that we're going to read, we see that Jesus even made it closer. From, from among his 12 disciples, he chose three. Maybe the, the, uh, maybe, maybe the closest to him or whatever. But he chose to go with the three and left the nine. Okay? So he took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Okay? 
Now, lesson number one here is work on your inner circle. Work on your inner circle. You have an inner circle. You have people in your life that you want to close to work closely with, that you want to start things with, that you want to talk about the things about life. Work on your inner circle. Determine first. First, ask yourself, do I have an inner circle? Who are these people? These are the, the people who I'm most comfortable with. These are the people that I can be very vulnerable to. I can be honest with my feelings. Inner circle, who are they? It may be members of your family or it may be good friends, best friends. But you have, you have an inner circle and I need you to identify that and then work on it. Your work, you work on it because these are the people that you produce with, that you come up with ideas with. Listen to this. Your greatest impact happens not when you're with the many people, many people around you, but when you're with the very few. Because usually great things come out of these small groups. All right? So work on your inner circle. You need to work on them. You need to establish your relationship with them. You need to make your relation, keep your relationships fresh. And someone wise said, there's something wrong if those who praise you are those who barely know you and those who curse you are those who are closest to you. There's a lot of truth in that. In fact, a lot of, a lot, I've seen a lot of situations, families. I've seen a lot of people who are living just what I said. In the words of John Maxwell, my friend, John Maxwell, in the words of John Maxwell, he said that the people closest to you hate you the most. And the people who are farthest from you love you the most. There's something wrong there. And when you feel that that is happening in your life right now, you need to work on your inner circle. I, I know a lot of people who attend religious gatherings, who attend uh, civic organizations, and they're highly acclaimed. They're, they're uh, put on a pedestal because they've, they've helped so much, so, so much to the efforts around, around them, helping the community because they've helped so many people and they were given left and right, awards here, awards there. But when they go home, they don't have time for family. They don't have time to work the relationships. They don't have time to strengthen the relationships. And their children, and I'm talking about not just civic leaders, I'm also talking about religious leaders here. And that's why sometimes their children, they, they resent the ministry because they feel that the ministry took them away, took, his, took, took their fathers away from them. Work on your inner circle. There's no other success, okay? No other success can compensate for a failure at home. For failure at home. You may be re well respected in the, in the social scene. What about your family? What does your son tell ab say about you? What does your wife feel about what you're doing? Work on your inner 
circle. That's important. Lesson number two, God wants to be close to you. <laughs> let, let me make it clear. This is not for, up for discussion. This is a fact that God wants to be close to you. Hmm? God just wants to be close to you. In the next verses that we will read, it says that God re revealed himself in a mountain. And in the Bible, every time God reveals himself in a mountain, that is a time when God wants to speak to his people. Because a mountain is seen as where heaven and earth meet. A mountain is a meeting point be um, between heaven and earth. And when heaven and earth meets, God appears. God is there. Miracles happen. So in the past, God revealed himself in the mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Tabor, all these mountains. Uh, yeah, God, God went down and people went up and they, they, they fellowshiped, they, they talked, God spoke. And, and, and when talking about the, the mountains, let's not forget about Eden. Yes, Eden is on a mountain. Okay, it's a it's a mountain uh, it's a mountainside resort. <laughs> okay, Eden because God and man talked together while walking in the garden. If you will read our history or the Bible, it's it, it it says there that God and man were walking together and they were talking to each other. Something like a father and a son talking. Lately, my son and I we've been talking a lot. And uh, lately, my son has been talking a lot about what he plays on the computer, what he did on Minecraft, how, how he was able to win in bed wars. And, and I enjoy those times because we fellowship. And, and, and what more do you think? Don't you think God enjoys your company? God and man are destined to be close. God wants to be close with you. Close to you. Yes, God's invitation to you is this. Come, let's walk together. And let's walk in the garden. God is issuing an invitation again. Come to the altar because this is where you and I will enjoy each other's company. And then God is saying today that he misses you a lot. I don't know I don't know. This is not part of the talk, but I am saying this now, maybe because somebody needs to hear this. God misses you. And he misses you a lot. God wants to speak to you. You don't even have to speak to him. All you need to do is come before his presence and stay there and bask in the presence of God. And that's enough. That's enough for a start. God misses you, and God wants to be close to you. Let's continue reading. In Matthew 17, verse 1, it says, six days later. So, so when did this happen? When did this fellowship happen? <laughs> On the seventh day, because it says six days later. And don't, do, you, do you see those videos now on TikTok or whatever where it says, a few moments later. <laughs> you know, so six days after. On the seventh day, 
God rested. And on the seventh day, God instituted Sabbath because Sabbath is a time when you can fellowship with God because this is your eternal fellowship with him because Sabbath is the eternal fellowship of God. And God is inviting you again, walk with me in my garden. Walk with me in my garden. In fact, this is why God created you. I too am a father, and I, we did not pray for Ziki every single day of our lives when we didn't have him yet. We did not pray for him so that we can have a son, so that we can have a son who will eventually drive for us when he grows older, who can eventually wash the dishes when we're too old to wash the dishes. We did not, we did not pray for a son so that someone can serve us. I, I prayed for a son because I just wanted to love a son, period. I just wanted to love him. And God created you because he just wanted to love you. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> love you. That's what God wants. Amen. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? Let's continue. Verse 2, it says, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. If people during that time would hear this, immediately they would already conclude that it has some reference to Moses because that's exactly what Moses looked like when he went up Mount Sinai and when he went face to face with God. When he went down, he had the shine that they even had to cover his face because the shine was too strong. The glow was too strong. And, and then they, and, and when, when this happened, I'm sure they remembered. They remembered um, what happened to Moses. They remembered Moses. Um, and and, and uh, moving forward in the years after, um, let, let's read. Uh, let's read. In Exodus, okay, so that you remember. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. They thought he was a ghost. That's why it, after that, the high priests of Israel after that, when, when they would wear their official, not costume, or official uniform, or official clothing, they would have um, a, a vest that has jewels on it and that sparkles. And that is supposed to, uh, to at least come close to what Moses had because he was shining and he was radiant because he saw the king of the universe, the God who created the universe. Listen to this. No one comes face to face with God and remains unchanged. Remember that. No one comes face to face with God and remains unchanged. Lesson number three. God calls you to be a priest. Huh? huh? Me? Priest? 
I'm not talking about an ordained priest, but a priest in the order of Melchizedek, royal priesthood, the scripture says. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says, you are royal priests. I remember that song, for you are a chosen race, a holy nation. You are priests in the order of Melchizedek. And what do, what do I mean when I say that you are called to become a priest? God wants you to be his representatives here on earth. Your imperfect love can radiate God's perfect love to others. Why? Because it's his perfect love that we're radiating. And it doesn't matter how broken we are. God can still use us. God can still use our imperfect love to bring his perfect love to the world. And he calls you to be a priest to represent him in this world. When people see you, do they see the things of God? When people see you, do they appreciate things according to how God has planned it out? That's My question is, are you a representative of God here on earth? If you say no to that, it's not yet too late. You are called to be a priest. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Once no people, now God's people. You are God's representative here on earth. Can you pat yourself and say to yourself, I am God's representative. I'm, an, I'm not a med rep. I am a God rep. Okay? Say that. I am a God rep. You are God's representatives. You are his hands. You are his feet. And you may be the only Jesus people will see or hear. Unbelievers will encounter. So make it well. Do your job. You are a priest. Be God's representatives here on earth. Let's continue reading verse 3. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. What's happening? Is this a, is this a, 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 a show? Only Jesus, who was, was when he started to be transfigured, he, he, he eventually shone like the sun, too bright, and then suddenly there were two other figures to the left and to the right, Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Now, what's the significance of Moses and Elijah being there? You know, in Judaism, um, we have two foundations. They had two foundations in Judaism. Torah, the Torah, which is the law that's very important, and the prophets. Okay, now Moses and Elijah are the, the representatives of representatives when it comes to the Torah and the prophets. Moses is the greatest lawgiver. Is the greatest lawgiver. <laughs> In fact, he got the, the law and then immediately, mainit-init pa, after God signed it on two tablets. Okay? In, in, in fact, it, it's a belief. Some scholars say that it's, it was written in God's handwriting because it was engraved on the tablet from nowhere. So, so because God signed it and Moses got it and he delivered it. So he's, he's the greatest lawgiver. 
On the other hand, Elijah is the greatest prophet. He is the greatest prophet. And what does this mean? That in terms of credibility, you have two people flanking Jesus, the greatest lawgiver and the greatest prophet, and it gives him credibility. It's, it's something like when you're applying for a job, you have to give references. What reference or who, you know, what will you ask for? What more can you ask for? You have the greatest lawgiver and then the greatest prophet flanking him. And this just confirms that Jesus, in the words of Peter, you are the Mashiach. In, in chapter 16, it says last week, we talked about this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and let's go to what Peter explained, exclaimed when he saw Jesus flanked by Moses and Elijah. He said, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. <laughs> Maybe they were ecstatic. Moses, Elijah, bigwigs, and Jesus. And Peter said, wow, we're excited. It's so great. For us to be here, if you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll order my construction crew. I will call on DPWH, and we will say, construct for you a memorial one for you. And, and, and this is, that's why this is called the Mount of the Transfiguration. The Mount of the Transfiguration. But, but even as he spoke... Let's continue from reading from verse 5. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't it just happen a few years ago when Jesus was baptized? When John the Baptist baptized Jesus? The heavens opened and the voice was heard. God saying, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. And again, here again, again, talk about credibility. You have Jesus there, Moses on, the one, on one side, Elijah on the other side, and God endorsing him. And God ordering them, telling them, listen. To him. Lesson number four. Behind the mundane is the miraculous. Behind the ordinary is the miraculous. Sometimes the reason why we don't see miracles is because we insist on looking for them in extraordinary situations. When the truth is, they can be found in the most ordinary stuff. Behind the mundane is the miraculous. Let's continue to read from verse 6 to 8. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And then they saw only Jesus. The reason why the ordinary becomes so extraordinary is because God is in the ordinary in the first place. And if you want to see extraordinary stuff, look, because every 
be behind the ordinary is the extraordinary. But God is there in the basics. God is present in the mundane. And again, I would like to say, God is in the ordinary. And I'll push that further and say, God is in your ordinary. What is your ordinary these days? What is your normal, your usual these days? The challenge is to see God in these ordinary situations in our lives. And when we start seeing God in the ordinary, our eyes will be opened and our hearts will be ready and our faith will be um, activated to see the miracles happening in our lives. Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? For those who want to start seeing God in the ordinary, not looking for God in the extraordinary, but seeing God in the everyday things of life. If you want this, I want you to pray. Put your hands over your chest as a sign that you are ready to do this and that you are giving God the sen- the, the, the the license to uh, make you see these things. See God in the ordinary. Father, for many years, for many times, for so long, Lord God, we have been trying to look for you in their extraordinary events in our lives. Failing to see, oh God, that you are there. You were there in the ordinary times. And this is, in fact, Um, this is in fact, O oh Lord, consistent with your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Today, Lord, we are assured that you are with us even in our ordinary situations. You are with us even we don't feel like anything is happening in our lives. But the fact is, brothers and sisters, the extraordinary becomes sweeter when you have God in your ordinary. And Lord, this is our prayer. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph radio.